Hello, and welcome to the Flynn Skidmore podcast. My goal is to help you become exactly who you want to be. We're here to help you take your biggest, boldest, most beautiful vision for life and turn that vision into reality. Hello. Today, I spoke with Victoria Washington, who is a seven-figure entrepreneur who's on a mission to revolutionize the world's relationship with money. This is a fascinating conversation where we speak about historical ideas of money and energies around money and what it looks like to practice new, more loving and expansive relationships with money. This is a mind-blowing conversation, and I am so excited for you all to join. Okay, one of the things that I'm really excited to ask you about is your thoughts on why we have where the idea that money is evil comes from how did that get created and what do you see as our future relationship with money or what's the future of our relationship that you want to create i'm actually having a freak out experience right now because i was driving up to the studio just tuning into you and feeling because we hadn't really connected that Mm -hmm. much beforehand and I got this premonition where you were going to ask me that question. Get the fuck out. I'm not, I actually am a little unwell right now. <laughs> like, I knew you were going to ask me, why is money evil? <sighs> okay. I have so much to say about this. But the first thing I'll start with is that most people have a very humanized relationship with money. So while money, the way that I look at it is money is a relationship and cash is an object within that relationship. And then wealth is our identity, which directs that relationship. Mm -hmm. And most people- Can I summarize that really quickly for myself to understand? So wealth is the identity that is the high level. It's at the high level. Mm -hmm. And the, the identity, the energy, the identity at the high level is the thing that determines the materials and the habits and the practices and the energy and the relationships trickling down. Yeah. From that high level identity. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And then when we look at money, it's a relationship. So if we even break down the definition of money, it's a medium of exchange. Mm-hmm. And whenever we're exchanging with something, we're exposed. So money exposes the way that people exchange, why they exchange, why they don't exchange, and their intentions behind that exchange. It's not money that's evil, it's the intention behind the exchange of money that can sometimes be rooted in a shadow behavior or so many different things. So enough people do that on a planet. And yeah, the easy way to summarize that is, you know, forget money, it's Mm. evil. And for me, that's what I always felt because I grew up in a household where the majority of the arguments were about money. Mm. So I decided unconsciously for myself that I was going to live my life rebelling against money. Rejecting it. Rejecting it. Mm. I remember even yelling at my mom one time. I was like, I'm going to move to India and teach yoga and I'm going to show you that you could be happy and you don't need money. And I just had this deep rebellion and quest to like show that you don't need that to be happy. And then I was quickly, obviously, rudely interrupted by the truth that money is a resource that you do need in order to do many things on this planet. Um, But I think that a lot of people think that money is evil because they've been hurt by power. And when we are looking at accumulating wealth or accumulating money, it's an accumulation of valuable assets. And I've always said that money really when you make more of it, it feels like more sensation. Mm. And those sensations come with more options, more decisions. So if you're somebody who has been hurt by someone or you've been in a family pattern or a family or a lineage of people who have been hurt by money, aka the people who are exchanging that money, then of course you're going to project that onto the object of cash and onto your relationship with money. And I think that beyond money, people thinking that money is evil, I think that people have a fear of being rich because, and this is for most lineages, specifically as a woman of color, I I identified this, that if I become rich, then unconsciously it feels like I'm going to become the oppressor Mm -hmm. because the, you know, it's that cycle. Mm -hmm. And so all of that combined gets projected onto money and a lot of people end up rebelling against it. Or acting like they don't need it. So it becomes about what your experiences with money, the energy that's infused into money and and what it represents as as patterns of exchange. Mm -hmm. 
what it represents in terms of the shadows underneath those patterns of exchange. You reject the material thing. Mm -hmm. You also reject your pre your your notion of what it means to have the material thing which is that you're the oppressor if you have the material thing yeah and especially as a woman of color like i'm curious actually about what what exists in your psyche about that like mm -hmm. what's your relationship with the concept of oppression what was your relationship with that concept and where are you at now with it for me i have physical evidence of being denied opportunities in our society because of the color of my skin. I remember applying for a yoga teaching job at the Trump Tower wow. and they did not hire me because I had an afro at the time and you had to have a certain hairstyle that my texture just listen, if you got an afro, you can't just straighten it. You know, just, just puff that down. It doesn't, yeah. work, <laughs> doesn't work like that. And I I left and I wasn't even angry, but I it was the first time that I was like, wow, did that just happen? I was all, all, kind of in shock. Did they say that explicitly? No, but the contract said it. Uh, the, like in order, there would, it, I would have to agree to literally change like a fundamental part of who I was and they knew I couldn't do that. And so it's just a very under... Obviously, they can't say it out loud. That's illegal. But the way that the contract and the exchange happened, it it just wasn't okay. And this was years and years and years ago when I lived in Chicago. And so by the time I start my business, flash forward, like, you know, a few years later, I start my business. I had actual lived experiences of I need to work twice as hard to earn a certain amount. And I think that the way that the money mindset industry is set up right now, we can consider it an industry mm -hmm. now at this point. It didn't at the time consider that not everything's a limiting belief. Some of it actually freaking happened. Real like, shit. It actually fucking happened. And yes, that gives way to so many different thoughts and narratives and stories. But for me as a woman of color, it was really starting to reconcile those those lived experiences through not necessarily making more money because more money doesn't equal less scarcity mm -mm. it and we can talk about that in another part of this and so my money work was less about okay let me make more money to get out of this feeling and it was more about let me reconcile my money lineage mm. and the stories and the narratives that have lived in my bloodline the lived experiences that have lived in my bloodline can i come to peace with those can I really access my wealth identity outside of those lived experiences? And what that brought me into connection with was my value. Because wealth, when we break down the root word, it is value. So I first have to identify as a valuable human being before anything's going to change. And so that that was the the root. And that's for a lot of people, but I've I've coached hundreds and thousands at this point, and it's a trend within um you know the like women of color specifically having that is it's a sticky part for us and so it's it's um experiences that have led you to the conclusion that you don't you can't identify as having as much value as someone else yeah hard evidence that suggests that the perception of you is that mm -hmm. and then the internalization of that and mm -hmm. then the results of that. Yeah. yeah. What were, what are some, when you, when you looked at your lineage, I love the way that you said, I think in something I read of yours, like, um, your, the transformation of your relationship with money had to do with, with looking at the narratives that have been passed through your bloodline. Yeah. I love that description. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, when you in that particular moment started to take a look at that and develop an awareness of that, what were some of the narratives that you recognized that had been passed through your bloodline? For me, I remember I was in my living room and I was so sick of all the money mindset stuff, which just was staying very surface level. And I remember thinking like if I could rip scarcity off of my body, I would just get up and do it. And so I just got up and started like pretending I was ripping this stuff off my body. And then it, whenever you start to move, energy starts to build. I'm sure you've experienced that in this huge energy built within me and I like kneeled over my knees and I just let out this huge scream. I was at home by myself at the time. And as I screamed, as that sound left my mouth, I got these flashbacks of like my grandmother's hands and my mother and just the, how hard they worked and the, the depth in which their pain really was for not being fully provided for. So I first saw it before I really understood it. And as I went deeper through embodiment and through the somatic financial healing, the biggest narrative was if you are if you are wrong 
then you're not lovable. And this is where our relationship with money is so interesting because it's not actually the question of, am I valuable enough to make more money? What we're all asking ourselves is, am I lovable and will I be left behind? Mm -hmm. Like that's the root of it. And Mm -hmm. so for me, those stories were, I'm going to be left behind. Am I actually lovable enough to be provided for, to be, to, to even hold this, to circulate this? Um, on my father line, there was a lot of fear of money being stolen. Mm-hmm. And I found out later that that was a fear that my grandfather always had mm. was that once you have money, you better, you got to keep it. Don't let anybody know that you have it because somebody could steal it. Mm. On my mother line, there was this hoarding mentality and that cycled into overspending. And so it was, you know, get stable, just get to a point where enough is enough. Don't ask for more. Don't mm-hmm. don't think beyond that. Mm-hmm. So those two di- those two narratives combined into many different stories and and different sensations in my body, and then I think we make our own conclusions from there in mm-hmm. order to survive. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, you have accumulate, protect like your life depends on it. Yeah. Don't let anyone be aware of the things that you've accumulated. Hold it in tight grip. Would you say like yeah. grip onto mm-hmm. it? And then through your mother's line. It was uh, just get as much as you need and don't desire any more beyond that. Yeah. That, that's what it is. Yeah. And what, what have you been able to do with those perspectives? Where are you at now with them? Gosh, so much has changed. Where do I even begin? Well, I, I came to the conclusion that if you really want to work on your money stuff, make a fuck ton of money. Mm-hmm. Like if you really want to do yes, the work, yes. make the money. Yes. So... I can't sit here and say that I healed all that and then I made this money. I actually, the first thing that I connected with was the value piece. Mm -hmm. And as long as I could connect with that, then I even became valuable enough to go down that road. Mm -hmm. Because to go down that road means to invest in yourself and Mm -hmm. invest in like understanding yourself and understanding these different patterns and things that you've operated within. So the first couple of years was really me accepting and not making myself wrong anymore Mm -hmm. and just letting like what if i could make money and still have the shame Mm -hmm. and still have this so i I often remind people you don't need to get rid of your shame in order to make money this doesn't qualify you for more that's not the purpose of these practices so i ended up after my wealth embodiment flow which we founded at the end of 2018 going into 2019 when i was filing bankruptcy the first year I we hit six figures and it was in, it was a huge milestone because nobody in my family had really done that at my age and in, in, the, in that time period. And that's when I started to really do the work. I was like, oh, the money's here. Now mm-hmm. we get to, yes. now all this other stuff showed up. Yes. Because I didn't feel the sensation of losing money until I had it. I didn't feel the sensation of the... Uh, the shadowy aspects of the gripping until the money was in the bank account. So then it was really a practice of processing what it means to have it Mm -hmm. and talk about it. Mm -hmm. I remember calling my dad when we had hit multiple six figures. And that was the first time where I found out that I had out earned him. And we had this interesting dynamic on the phone where for the first time he was like, you're motivating me. And something changed inside of me in that Ooh. moment. And then the money became so much, it, it started to represent something so much more than just, it's not just cash. It was changing the face of wealth as my family knows it, as my, as my lineage knows it, as the world knows it. And now it's not about me becoming a better person for more money. It's about me becoming the person that God desires me to be, to steward wealth in a way that doesn't just change the world but changes anybody that comes after me. Mm-hmm. So think of my my legacy, mm-hmm. my sister, my nephew, the future generation. And that's when I believe you really hit financial liberation because you're not just liberated with cash, you're liberated from money altogether and you're operating in stewardship. You're you're changing the high level identity of wealth. You're cha- changing that identity and the energy that's infused at that high level of wealth. Yeah. And that changing of identity it could be even it could even be the case that you just transforming that identity and not sharing with anyone gives other people access to it. Yes. But you're you're giving other people access to it in a very measurable, concrete way by creating programs, giving other people access 100%. to it. But you can never mention it and it still changes it. That's the bloodline work. Yes. And this happened inside the House of Wealth Embodiment. I remember 
talking with one of our members. She's first generation Filipino and she was having a really big milestone, like a huge milestone. And I could tell she wanted to celebrate it, but she was nervous. And I go, what is like, this is a place. If you're going to celebrate it, tell us what it is. And she had hit a really big milestone in her portfolio, but she was so afraid to share it with her family because she didn't want them to judge her or think differently of her because she had done this. Because behind the scenes, she was working on her financial discipline and just her education and all these different things. And I looked at her and I said, you can never share the number with them. They can never know this portfolio exists. But what they're going to get is a mother who is more present. You're going to pass this down. Their blood is recording what you're representing and embodying. And that's what we really pass down. Yes. More than just that. The relationship. Yeah. You pass down the relation, your conception of the thing and the energy that you exchange with it. That energy, the energy you're practicing, whether or not you're conscious of it, be, reverberates down to the cell. Yes. Every cell in your body yes. informs the protein your DNA is making. And that's the thing you pass down is your relationship with the yep. thing, right? That's so, exactly So it. even if she never shared the, the number with someone, she became the person who's infused with a different thing and that gets passed down. The behavior changes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's be- When you said that, your when when your dad said that the amount of money that you made was super motivating for him and that's when something changed in you what i hear in that is maybe one of the models that you had is that your expansiveness and your wealth uh you taking up space with wealth will mm-hmm. be something that other people want to lash out at it'll harm them to, for you to take up space and maybe what you learned there is that you taking up space and expanding was actually energizing and nourishing for this person 100 percent. that's where the mantra my opulence creates a pathway for others Ooh, yeah. came from mm. and that was for a lot of people and i'm sure if you're listening right now that's huge right there because that already opens up so much space to stop thinking about how others are going to perceive you before you become, like I said, who God desires you to become. I never could have predicted that I would be here, Mm -hmm. you know? And at some point we have to stop fighting the gifts that God is trying to circulate through us. And I had no idea the gift that that would be for my father. It Mm -hmm. still is to this day. Mm -hmm. I've watched it really transform our relationship. But that was the scariest piece. I was like buckling up for this is going to make us drift. This is going to create a rift. This is going to create, you know, space. And he's going to question things. But yeah, instead, it ended up really showing me that when somebody is, when somebody is in your bloodline and they are truly connecting with you and you're sharing from your heart in that moment when he was celebrating with me it was as if he hit that milestone too Mm -hmm. because i'm in him Mm -hmm. and he's within me so Mm -hmm. it was it was a win for he contributed to this outcome also he did he's part of the lineage and that's what totally turns me on Mm -hmm. like that's what really is so interesting to me and i don't think that that's so far away from just the talk of like, what's a limiting belief? And what's yes. not. I'm, just, I'm like, we're so far away from I that now. That. <laughs> that I'm like, it's just so much bigger. Yes. And why money? You know, I think I've been asking myself that. It's interesting now we've been, I've been doing this with the House of We specifically for, will be our third year anniversary this fall. And I'm like, is this really like, I can't believe it's turned into this huge movement. And I've often asked myself, like, why is money the pathway? Like, mm-hmm. it's such a, when you decide to go on that journey, it opens up so much and it becomes less about money and so many other things. But really, it goes back to it, money is a medium of exchange and it's such an exposing process. And so it's not necessarily us doing money work. What we're really doing is God's work. Like mm-hmm. it's, again, it comes back to the stewardship and how are you meant to be multiplied and circulated in this lifetime? Mm-hmm. And money becomes less of this object in your life. And it's more so this resource that is being circulated through you mm-hmm. for certain things to come to light. Mm-hmm. The, my, I don't know that much about the history of money, but my sense is, is that historically money has been made by people cutting off from their internal experience. You mm-hmm. think about like the wealth of the United States built on slavery. I don't believe it's possible to be in the presence of a being who's suffering and for your body to not be impacted by it and affected by it. 
And if you are so fixated on accumulating resources and developing money, which I, I actually don't blame, I try to take a compassionate and curious approach to that. Like why might a person be so fixated on the accumulation of wealth that they're able to shut off from someone, another being's experience. Mm -hmm. But to me, the accumulation of wealth requiring that, that is requiring another being suffering means that the relationship with wealth has to be one that is not a heart-centered really it has to mm -hmm. be a fear-based relationship with wealth and what i and then that pattern and that habit that relationship is the one that has been practiced and where institutions have been built from that thing like money is this thing that requires the cutting off from the internal experience and mm -hmm. what i hear you talking about is an integration of the internal experience with money like you're not just a because there's one version of it where you can be aware of feeling super shitty while making money but what you're trying to do what you're doing and have done is practice an awareness of your internal experience and made a choice to be in your heart and to be loving mm -hmm. and kind as you're making a shit ton of money, which as far as I understand is a relatively new thing in human history. I think that it is. And one of the questions I asked myself in the beginning of the journey, and I have everybody who decides to work with within the house of we, I have them ask for 24 hours money. What is it like to be in a relationship with me? Mm. it's flipping it because mm. we're so concerned with here's what i'm doing da, 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 but it's like what is what is the feedback yes. that that exchange has for you and yes. the words i heard is it feels like i'm in a jail cell it feels like no matter what i do it's not enough and that's how i felt about myself that's oh, how i shit. felt about my partner that's how i felt a lot of things are reflecting that back to me and so i've always said that there's no resistance between you and money, but there is potential resistance between you and responsibility, mm. you and the responsibility of that answer that yes. comes through. Yes. So that's where the journey really begins is developing our character and our behaviors and our ability to hold more responsibility. Yes. The, um, the newsletter that I just put out, I think yesterday, actually, um, I wrote about my perspective on relationships. Yeah. And what I, some of the things that I was saying was like, okay, there, some people would say that the material world is inanimate and doesn't have an experience and doesn't have a consciousness is not having an internal experience. Some people way smarter than I am would argue for that. And other people would say that everything is having an experience, an internal experience and that everything desires self-actualization. Everything desires to express itself in the most beautiful form. And there are people who are smarter than me who would argue for that perspective as well. So I take a look at that and I say, okay, I'm not really interested in which one of those is true in any kind of absolute sense. I'm interested in taking on whichever one works to produce the result of the experience of life that I want to have. And when I see that all objects have an internal experience and have a desire for self-actualization, that sets me up to be in a relationship with all things. So if I'm drinking coffee, I'm not just like getting this thing isn't just a utility that's serving my needs to rush through my experience of drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. This coffee mug has a desire for self-actualization. It wants to be the best, most excellent, beautiful version of itself. And if I pay attention to those kinds of things, I might just be making it up and delusional. Like this coffee, like wants super high quality beans that are fair trade. It wants <laughs> the coffee to be poured in slowly. It wants raw milk from grass or pasture raised cows. I might be delusional in making that shit up, but I know that when I ex relate to the coffee mug in that way, I have a way, I get more of what I want. Mm -hmm. I, I'm filled with more appreciation, with more love, with more curiosity and kindness. What I, what I hear you speaking about is when, and I love what you just said, like, what would money want? What is money's version of self-actualization? Mm -hmm. How might money want me to interact with it? What's my money's highest vision of itself? And am I showing up in a way that allows, that contributes to money's self-actualization? Or am I actually harming money and then numbing myself to the experience of harming an entity mm -hmm. because I'm so caught up in fear and narratives and all that? Like, nailed it. <laughs> that hits. Yeah. And as I'm hearing you speak for me, it's God. I've always felt like I am God's playground to express, circulate, and experience the highest version of life through, mm -hmm. including money. And so 
That's why I always recommend and invite anybody. It's not about becoming a better person for more money. It's not that direct, superficial exchange. It's who is God calling you to be? How does God want to play through you? How does God want to experience life through you, steward through you? And I think when you look at it from that lens, like you basically summed it up, it automatically calls you to a more pristine behavior hmm. and a it changes your mind and your perception. And to me, that's a miracle, like hmm. a miracle of the mind of God. Don't just take away the scarcity or add more money to my bank account. Change my mind, mm -hmm. change how I'm looking at mm -hmm. this, change what I can see so that I can make different decisions and move in a different behavior. And that's going to require a lot of slowing down so God can speed up mm -hmm. and really mm -hmm. being more present with what has already been delivered to you. Because I hear this a lot when I'm working with people of thinking that they need more resources before they can get to the next step. Mm -hmm. And I always, I remember when I filed bankruptcy, I was like, I can't snap my fingers and have more money right now. So like, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, if I can really appreciate and be with and learn how to use the resources I currently have, that's actually going to multiply a lot faster than me waiting for something else to come. Yeah. What, what do you, okay. So what I hear there is really appreciate what's, if money is an entity, right? Rather than being like, nah, you're not good enough. Nah, you're not good enough. You're not useful to me yet. You're not useful to me yet. You're not enough. Rather than being like that, you're like, you're beautiful and magnificent as you are. Like, thank you for what's here. When you develop that relationship with money and then also the internal experience that results as choosing to relate to it that way, then things happen faster. That's... I think when you develop that relationship with your creator... Okay, not necessarily, not necessarily money. money. It's something higher level yes. than money, higher order. I think order. that we have this habit, especially in the self-development industry, we want to like over-humanize everything. And mm -hmm. I saw a lot of trendy stuff of like, take money on a date, love money. It's your best friend. Mm -hmm. It's your lover. Mm -hmm. I'm like, money's not your fucking lover. Mm -hmm. Money is not your friend. Money doesn't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. Get out of bed or I've always said like, get out of bed or don't. Like money actually does not care. Uh huh. But your destiny does, Ooh. but your soul does, but God does. So it's not about developing this like really deep relationship with money. It's about developing a relationship with the creator that is going to circulate that money through you for God's will. I love that. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me because money, like that makes sense that money actually doesn't give a fuck if you get up or not. It'll it end up in someone else's pocket if you don't get up. Which is why people get a little bit irritated by that type of conversation. Mm -hmm. Cause I get asked a lot, well, what about the people who aren't doing anything good? I'm like, well, yeah, cause money doesn't, it, it's not about that. And we can get into like the nuance of that, but. And, and I'm just, just to clarify what you're speaking about is the people who are making a lot of money who aren't also cultivating like what we might call beautiful relationship. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Right. And there's a lot of nuance there, but I think that as we've gotten into a habit of, oh, again, over humanizing money and making it like, I need to have this red light therapy and this, and this, and this, and this. And it's like, I mean, maybe, but I don't do red light every day. And yes. I still, you yeah. know, and you I make think, bread. Yeah. and I still make love. So I just personally went on this own experiment with myself of like, if I eliminated all of that, what happens? Mm. And it really brought me closer into a cleaner, more simplified relationship with money, mm. which was money is just a medium of exchange, mm. period. Mm. Like we really don't need to make it more complicated than that. It's not that deep. That. <laughs> it's just not that deep. But there is a lot of, behavioral and characteristic things that need to be developed and God develops our character to hold more responsibility, to take on more projects, to manage more people. And all of that results in the byproduct of circulating more money. Uh, Myron Golden, who you would love. Myron Golden. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He has this YouTube video on the four levels of value. And most people are conditioned to only exchange at the lowest level of value, which is here's my time. I'm going to clock in, make this certain amount of cash and then leave. That's like the lowest form of value. And if you, as you go up the scale, up the, I guess you could call it like a ladder, we get to the stage two, which is if you become the manager of the people that are clocking in, mm -hmm. then you can make about, you know, 60 to 80K. Mm -hmm. Then you go into the higher two forms of value, which is your mind and communication. Mm -hmm. If we think of some of the richest people on the planet, they know how to communicate their ideas. 
and they've used their imagination to bring something into form. Mm -hmm. Writers, speakers, actors, mm -hmm. um, railroad, railroad tycoons, yeah. innovators, <laughs> yeah. and all that. And they're not exchanging time for money. Mm. Their imagination has been developed. Uh -huh. So that's what my prayer was after bankruptcy was like, God, don't just fill it with more money. Develop my imagination mm. to bring something to life that would circulate an amount of wealth mm -hmm. that is in your highest will mm -hmm. that, that is going to further society. I, okay. I love this. So there, one thing that you were speaking about were like, um, the actions and behaviors, the things to do, the simple things to do. And I think those are important, but I tend to not be interested in those things and be more interested in the thing that you're saying about like, how do you communicate with God? Yeah. <laughs> because my sense is that the actions to take are not prescriptions, but rather come as a result of cultivating that relationship in your framework, cultivating that relationship through God. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing is that God communicates with you the the medium of exchange with you is is imagination mm -hmm. is that would you say that yeah i believe god uses all of our imagination okay that's so creative beautiful <laughs> so so i think that what i would love to learn about is your experience with cultivating a relationship with god and how do you know you're improving that relationship through prayer for me it's always been prayer and my listening i think that we can get really hung up on what we have to say and how we're being heard or how we're being seen. But it really comes back to what are you listening to? What's what's guiding your life? Is some is human in the flesh guiding your life or is the creator that brought you and positioned you here actually guiding your life? And for me to actually listen and feel the presence of God, it's always through prayer and not necessarily praying from the perspective of I need to beg for something mm -hmm. or, oh God, everything's going to shit. Let me like, I gotta, gotta, like, we gotta clean this up. Which is one, which is one common version of this. Probably yeah. what a lot of people think of when they see prayer is like actually desperation. Desperation. I don't feel that at all. I look at it as you're praying into what God has already, God has already done. And I had this thought the other day, this just like flew at me while I was in the car. And I was like, you stop wondering if you're worthy when you remember that you were chosen by God. Mm. And you really stop even wondering if you're worthy mm -hmm. or capable when you remember that mm -hmm. like, life woke you up today mm -hmm. and you have the awareness that life woke you up today, mm -hmm. but you don't know how, mm -hmm. you know, there's something, there's mm -hmm. an air of mystery that I think we have to learn how to be in relationship with, which is through our faith, mm -hmm. because God doesn't guarantee anything that, that's never been a part of the agreement, but our faith teaches us to practice how to see in the uncertainty mm -hmm. and our prayer gives us the ability to connect with the resources that god has already placed down on the inside of us so often my prayers will sound like god i pray into the imagination that you have planted in my bones mm -hmm. i pray into the eyes that you have given me i pray into the team members mm -hmm. i pray into them i don't pray for or beg to uh, get somewhere like but i pray into what you've already done because I trust you know how to multiply. Uh-huh. Okay. I love this. So you are directing your attention and energy into the things that you appreciate and want to grow. I think you said your eyes, like yeah. speaking about your body, like mm -hmm. the things you like my eyes, this team, I'm praying into, I'm directing appreciative energy into these mm -hmm. things because that energy seems to be the things that grow things. Yeah. That yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for me, I, I see the world in the exact same way, or I practice a similar perspective or worldview, I would say. And for me personally, what I practice being aware of is any tendency to ever think that this particular worldview or perspective speaks to some sort of absolute truth. Mm -hmm. So for instance, when you said that thing about, um, you know, um, like, am I actually worthy of getting this thing? Right. And then, and then your response is, well, you stop worrying about that when you remember that, uh, God has chosen you, right. The way that I see that my, my mind operates like this. When I hear someone say, I just need to know that I'm worthy. Right. But then I would say, okay, 
if let's say a right now in this moment, you arrived in an environment where you knew undoubtedly with absolute certainty that you were worthy, what would that do for you? And people say, well, then I would take action blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. and then ultimately we get down to the feelings that they want to access as a result of interpreting themselves as worthy. Mm -hmm. It's not about worthiness or it's not about the interpretation and the mental process of analyzing and coming out with an outcome that you're worthy. It's about relaxing. Mm -hmm. Right. And I actually hear the interpretation, you know, though I do, I do choose to believe in the world in this way. And I, I may not use the word God, but the, all the things that you're speaking about are all the things that I also see. But if I were to say like the, the universe or God has chosen me to wake up today, I would actually also see that as an interpretation that gives me relaxation. Yeah. And what I see is that relax, the energy of relaxation is the powerful thing. And I'm just using spells and words and interpretations in order to access an internal experience and, and not trying to, not, not, um, trying to, to convince myself that I know that those things are true with certainty. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm not saying that as if that's the correct thing to do. I'm just saying that that's what I do. And I'm curious about your relationship with the certainty of the existence of God. I love that. I love that your your perspective really breaks down like what's the sensation that we're after because that really is the thing. And I've also considered for myself like if I in this moment decide that I'm worthy, like the fear is not, am I not worthy? It's I am worthy. And oh, shit, I got to I, mean, I got to do something. I can go do something. And I think we're more afraid of that because then there's no excuses. And it's like, yeah, you're going to go do the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. And I do feel like relaxation is such a universal sensation that we all are seeking and desiring. Um, for me, I find that in my relationship with God, because there's a peace there, like inner peace is such a. I think it's the most valuable currency hmm. that we all would, you know, desire to exchange with. And for me, I, I really think about the, I think about my relationship with God and I think about why I'm here quite often. And the more that I can, the more that I can remember that it's, it's about me and it's not about me. And it's a big deal and it's not really a big deal. And I can play in that middle ground. Mm -hmm. The more that I can move through this life as an experiment mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. this, I have to get to this ultimate destination because I really don't know. Mm -hmm. But I have certainty that I'm here to experiment and experience. That's fucking cool. So much along the way. Yeah. So, and I also, I don't know if you're into human design. Are you into yeah. human design? Yeah, yeah. What's your human design? A projector. You are. Yeah. No wonder yeah. we vibe. Yeah. I'm a manifester, uh -huh. but I love projectors. Um, I have the, the, the channel and the line of certainty. So I am designed just naturally. I'm a very certain person. Like mm. when you say like, this might be true, this be true. I'm like, my brain don't work like, like that. It's like, no. this shit it's is like, true. this might true. This is true. What do you mean? Uh, and I have to be open to that. That's why I love projectors. They always, they soften me to really feel into these other worlds and perspectives. And so it's, it's beautiful that you shared that. Um, so I think by nature, I'm just built that way mm -hmm. for probably for some of my soul's work, like mm -hmm. to talk about money and speak to thousands of people, like you're going to have to be pretty certain. You got to be pretty bold. Yeah. So I know that that was a gift for me to utilize and it's not, I love that. Yeah. It's more for me about experimenting yeah. than anything. So, so the, the access to this experience of certainty, you probably have a stronger experience of certainty than maybe I've ever had with anything. Mm -hmm. Maybe. And that experience of certainty about all these things, which by the way, like in this current moment of my life, I couldn't, I cannot think of many, anything else that is more valuable than spending your time doing that. There may be things that are equally as valuable. Like we're sitting in a music studio here and it might be equally as valuable, valuable to make amazing music. True. But I can't think of anything that is more valuable than what you are doing and what you are doing requires this massive amount of boldness to transform this relationship that's been carved out through the human experience for so long, mm -hmm. where there's so much pain and ugliness and darkness associated with it. There are so many factors and so many, so many pieces involved, like obviously race, class, mm -hmm. it requires an immense amount of boldness to be able to do what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. 
That's such a projector moment. <laughs> just seeing me, I'm melting underneath yeah, the microphone feel, yeah. right now. <laughs> I, it really does. Like I really appreciate that, and I receive that. And I don't often pause to let that settle in because hmm. you're just in it. You hmm. know, when you feel your call and you're in, you're locked in, and you're feeling, you know, you're feeling life moving through you mm -hmm. that you not even you're moving faster than your mind can mm -hmm. doubt. You don't pause and think about that. Mm -hmm. So that's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. I, I feel that too. Like what, what I imagine you're feeling of the melting. It's, it's so cool to me because that we spoke about, and I, and I think that this is something to even, um, expand on because it may have been missed but what we were saying was you could transform your relationship with the thing and you may not even need to teach other people how to do the same and you mm -hmm. would still be teaching other people how to do the same because you've become a different person you're operating at a different frequency you choose different things well. yeah and that's the biggest purpose i want to take the numbers off the pedestal mm -hmm. and let go of all the the milestones and who's doing what and all of that because it can just get so hyper vigilant and so hyper focused on the actual productivity of the human versus the purpose mm -hmm. behind why that human is moving the way that they are um, and i think that it gives a lot of people more hope and i think when you have hope in your bones you've got more life to mm -hmm. live you mm -hmm. know when you run out of hope mm -hmm. you're kind of at a dead end mm -hmm. and that's my biggest mission is letting people know and reminding them that it's not about at the end of the day, what's going to be remembered is how you created new relationships and feelings and sensations, your significance. That's yeah, how I've been defining yeah. significance is mm -hmm. like the relationships to people. hundred percent. No one's going to remember, you know, the money doesn't make you more relevant mm -hmm. as much as this world will have you think. Mm -hmm. And I have to also remind myself often and my clients and all the people that I work with is that we're not of this world. We're positioned here, mm. but we, to me, we're not, I'll say with my certainty to <laughs> me, <laughs> yes. let me reframe it. <laughs> to me, we're not of this world. We were placed in this world to do certain things and to experiment and all these different things. But we, when we over identify with the material world, I think that's when it gets incredibly difficult to start to remember um your purpose in the in the larger call within yeah. all of this yeah so that's that's probably the thing that i spend the most time with with my clients and with people that, like what i really want to help people with is to understand that the material world and three-dimensional solutions are are part of our experience mm -hmm. but i think the thing that is closer to the truth of our experience the thing that's actually happening is our internal experience and what something feels like. And if I want a marriage and a family or a particular career, I'm making a prediction, whether consciously or not, that those things are going to give me access to a particular feeling. Mm amplify a feeling or give me a feeling that I don't think that I have access to right now. Right. And what I, what seems to be true for me is that when people become aware that in theory, any experience is available in any given moment and that life is about making decisions that are about choosing the internal experience you want to have and then choosing things in the material world that seem most likely to amplify that like that seems to be the thing that sets people up to have a super fulfilling life yes and you said a little a little while ago that the ultimate the the, the most valuable thing is inner peace mm -hmm. and in theory in my framework any experiences available in any given moment. And to me, that happens as a result of how we are choosing to relate primarily to our internal world and what exists in our awareness. So mm -hmm. if I have parts of me that have learned to protect me through shame or judgment or fear or anxiety or criticism, it's not about overriding those or bypassing them or even trying to change them, but actually to make a choice about the internal experience I want to have peace and then create a peaceful relationship with that anxiety or whatever yeah. else it is, right? Yeah, That seems to be the thing that creates a next level life, at least what I've seen and experienced. But no, that's I'm, ultimate truth. That that thing, that's <laughs> ultimate truth. Like that kind of hits, right? That's ultimate truth, dude. That's just ultimate truth. But what I'm really curious about, so so the thing that I'm super passionate about is I I really believe that when actually given the opportunity, all beings, all things, all systems in the universe 
choose to orient towards love. And I don't necessarily think that because love is like sacred or it's like what it's supposed to be or even good. I think it's just because love is energy efficient and systems like energy efficiency. That's what the patterns in the universe tell us. So that's how I see things. Now, one of the things that I'm curious about your so if everything desires self-actualization, if everything desires inner peace or an inner experience of love, again, when given those conditions where that that being or entity or person is able to actually choose that without having to defend themselves for what they've done, mm-hmm. that everyone chooses that. But there is some truth to the material experiences of people having limited access to self-actualization because of racist policies, certain monetary policies, like the material world does make it so that not everyone has equal access to having an internal experience of peace in any given moment. I'm curious about your, your perspective on like the kind of more ethereal perspective of infinite peace is available in any given moment and the very material perspective of like a person has only eaten fast food for the last 25 years and their body is so inflamed that it doesn't make sense to be in a state of peace. Mm-hmm. And that's because of like unfair policies and unequal access to food. And, and yeah, curious about your perspective on Just that. Just a small light question yeah. <laughs> to really wrap this up. <laughs> Let me just hold on a second. No, but it's a valid question. And I love that we're talking about it because a lot of people shy away from speaking on this. So there's a couple different places that my mind goes to or that my heart goes to. The first thing is in the realm of the material, there's so much that we can't control because there's there's so many choices being made both with our free will in the system. Like there's free will choice and there's also this is how it's set up. Like I could have never predicted what happened with me in that job, for example. Mm-hmm. But when I walked out, I did have the free will to decide you know, what I was going to do after that and how I was going to handle that. Was that my own innate knowing? Was that a product of my environment? Was that privilege? Because even as a woman of color, I grew up in a family that really celebrated me. Mm-hmm. And I've even heard things like black privilege where like my dad, who's African-American, he really sought out to have like a more powerful mindset and was really deliberately passing that on to us. But not every African-American father does that Mm -hmm. because the system doesn't Mm -hmm. allow for that. Mm -hmm. So I've thought about this to such great lengths and I don't have an answer. But what I do know is that it is our duty and our job to to try Mm -hmm. and to always seek how can we support, how can we further society forward? What is my contribution to the collective? So for me, I've always felt like I'm going to find my cause, my thing, the thing that has been placed on my heart to contribute to, and I'm going to research it and I'm going to know it and I'm going to understand it and put my resources Mm -hmm. there. And for me, that's brought a lot of, that's brought a lot of awareness and openings to how other parts of the world are operating and how other parts of the world are living. For me, it's human trafficking. Like I, mm. if I could end that with my, snap my fingers and end it, I would. Mm-hmm. And we partner with an organization that is in San Diego and it's been so eye-opening and, and beautiful. And I remember they brought me in to do a lot of money work with some of the survivors. And it was the hardest eight months mm-hmm. ever because you're working you're, like the the stories and the reflections I'm hearing it's 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 inconceivable it's you know and to to go from that lifestyle to now saying okay now you're going to have a peaceful simple relationship with money yeah it was right. it was absolute ridiculousness mm-hmm. and what i learned in those rooms and what they taught me is that it's not about necessarily even fixing their relationship with money i remember going in and just saying if i can connect with you and hear you, and listen, Mm. and learn, Mm -hmm. that is going to do more than me coming in here and telling you like X, Y, Z, and trying to, you know, point you in this direction. And that was the most life-changing part of it all, was just shutting up and listening, and hearing them, and then together creating an experience of elevation, and really co-creating that together. So that doesn't answer the question at all. I actually think it does. Okay. I I mean, uh, the way that I'm, I'm, simultaneously as a therapist does listening and 
making sense of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the way that I'm making sense of it is that thing that I said about all systems desire love. Mm-hmm. I'm asking myself, what are the conditions necessary for this entity or this being or this person to have access to a de- to even being aware that they have a desire for love? Because most, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say most people are not in an environment or in conditions where it makes sense to that for them to be connected to their desire for love because they've learned so many lessons, so many pieces of evidence that let them know that that just sets up for disappointment and yeah. more pain. Mm-hmm. So it's better to go with the less bad thing to numb yourself than to desire something you never think you get. What I hear you saying is like, yeah, okay, maybe these lessons about this sim- simple, peaceful relationship with money come at some point. But what we first need to do is tend to the emotional conditions, which would e- would even put you in a place where you have access to thinking about that. Yes. That's what I hear you saying. Exactly. Exactly. And to empower them to speak and be heard and express. And I just think the voice is such a powerful vessel. I think when you can put a voice to something, and for some of them, for the first time ever, they were putting a voice to these different mm-hmm. things. When your body can hear the own reverberation of your bravery, mm-hmm. it, it does something. Ooh more than I could ever do for you. So I handed them the mic oftentimes. And that was, it created this environment of safety that allowed us to, yeah, work on some big things. Um, But I'm not interested in saving the world. Mm. I really am not. And I don't think, I think that sounds good in theory, but it's, it's not our focus point. We're here to contribute to the world. And we're here to, to me, innovate different ways to say things and bring things to life Mm -hmm. and that creates change and if i can leave here and create a little bit of change and create a a new approach Mm -hmm. that is going to help society move forward Mm -hmm. then i think that's a good life i think that what you're speaking about is the only way to actually create change which is to get clear on how you want to be experiencing things and operate at your version of the highest level of doing mm-hmm. that and and invite others to sharing it with you who want to be invited into sharing it with you but not like so outward focused on yeah. that i i really really agree with that so you said two things let your let the bravery of your voice reverberate what did what was the thing you said when the bravery bravery of your own voice reverberates through your body. Yes. That does something. Yes. I've seen it. Yes. I more love than that. you would imagine. And then you also a little while ago you said the uh the opulence. My opulence creates a pathway for others. I love that so That's much. something too, because when when that mantra is existing in your life, there's no apathy. I think when you play with apathy, we're in dangerous, we're in code red. Yep. And when when the world becomes so overwhelming or the problems and issues and the darkness of the world become so overwhelming that you're apathetic about it mm-hmm. or cynical or, you know, I'm sure some people are going to listen to this and be like, have their own opinions and things like that. But, you know, even us having the conversation and letting our mind go there is powerful. Mm-hmm. But I think when you become apathetic to it or just throw your hands up and say, well, I shouldn't make any money because then it's all bad. That is not okay. Right. I 100% agree with that. That requires a numbing of desire. Yes. Right? Like I I interact with a lot of people who want things but have been conditioned to believe that they're not supposed to want that thing or they're not a person who's allowed to get what they want or whatever. The exact thing that you spoke about. So then you reject the thing. The rejection of a thing requires the repression of a desire. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful to me when people find themselves in a space in their own experience or with other people where they're just allowed to want what they want. That's that's it. Mm-hmm. Just allow everyone to want what they want. And then one of the things that you said that I think is like an absolute gem that I wish that I could like infuse that perspective into everyone in the world, which is like you, you, it was the process of making a lot of money that taught you how to heal the wounds of scarcity. It yes. wasn't healing the wounds of scarcity before by doing like breath work and everything. And then you get it's No. It, that is the greatest hack that exists, it's which okay. is do the thing you're scared of doing because that puts you in the process to be able to heal. The th- you can't heal the things if you're not doing the thing. You really can't. And this is, I'm so glad you brought that back in because I feel... What's once come through? There's, there's a, 
it's not easy to hear this. And I'm sure somebody's going to take this out of context. So whatever. But I really believe that scarcity ultimately is a correction. It is a and it is a form of providership because if I'm being corrected, if I'm being adjusted, I'm being provided for. It might not be the way that I want because all I want is for God to give me more money. But when God is showing me where I am being scarce, it's correcting me. So the bankruptcy actually corrected a lot of my own internal behaviors about money. And I have goosebumps right now. And that was not easy. That was not hard. That was that was not easy. That was a hard pill to swallow. And I eventually became grateful for the scarcity. So scarcity is not a villain in my eyes. Scarcity is a corrector. It is a purifier. It is an ultimate form of providership. And when we know how to befriend it and actually let it teach us what it's trying to teach us, then we can move forward. But if we can't respect our scarcity, then we're never going to respect our wealth identity. That's the most that's the most fire perspective on scarcity I've ever heard. But I I just had an entire shift in my own experience and my worldview with that. I, like that is the most I I almost said correct, but what I will say is that that you can say it's here correct. it's correct. It's correct. We'll just go with <laughs> absolute truth. It's correct. Satisfy yeah, my it's, ego. It's correct. My ego channel. It's and then to be ego. and then to be less absolute. That just immediately uh, took me from remnants of disempowered experiences to empowered experiences. Right. If I see that scarcity is, um, what'd you say? It's a form of correction. It's a form of and correction. And that came from. I was, I'm somebody who filed bankruptcy. It was an ultimate low with scarcity. And I looked at the statistics and I'm going to misquote this a little bit. It was somewhere around one in five black women will file bankruptcy. And it infuriated me. I was like, what? So like, I, this is statistically predictable. 20% of black like, women. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, that's insane. And I wanted to be mad. And I did let myself be angry because there's so many things that I was like, where were why didn't anybody stop me? Why didn't, why, how, like, how did I get to this point? There was so much shame. But when I was able to really understand and see that this was not a financial setback, it was a financial setup. And what I did in the years to come, I can't help but look back at, at that girl who was sitting on the bench. And I was like, you were being massively corrected. Mm. You were being massively rerouted and it sucked. And it was so hard. And I, I just am so grateful for it all now. And, um, And it's not, that's not easy for a lot of people to hear. And there's, I just want to be clear that there's definitely nuance. Like I'm not, not ignorant to the systems of this world and how things are purposefully set up Mm. at all. But I do think that it is in our free will to, I just deeply believe everybody has what it takes. Mm -hmm. I I do. And I won't ever stop. And I, it doesn't matter to me. It matters, but it will never change my belief in you. You can come to me with anything. And I'm like, let's go. Let's go. Like, let's let's just do go. it. Yeah. And I, I will never lose that. And so nobody will be able to prove to me or convince me that God can't use our scraps for beauty. Like I, God can use it all. So bring it, yes. bring your unworthiness, bring every moment that has tried to convince you that you don't have what it takes and let's make gold use out it. of it. Yeah. Make something beautiful with it. Yeah. I, that's it. That's it. And we start crying. <laughs> wow. You want to wrap there? Yeah. That's perfect. That feels beautiful. Yeah. Well, I wanted to get into this. Okay, go. <laughs> because I noticed a pattern that the people... So, okay. You... There's one version of this where I say the most successful people do this. There's another version of this where I say... The people who are who recognize what they're called to do and recognize the scale at which they're called to do it and who have the boldness to do it mm-hmm. and a missing piece. Well, not a, a piece that is often missing from that formula is the person who who the moat who realizes that the most important thing that they're doing is evolving a collective relationship with the thing that they're going for. So those four components, mm-hmm. I don't even remember what they are now, but hopefully you're following. I'm with you. You got it. Um, what seems to be the case for the people who end up on that path is that throughout their life or at some point in their life, they started to realize that all of the hard shit that they've been through. And like I'm, I'm a person, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York City. I've been through stuff that 
probably a lot of the listeners on the podcast like couldn't even imagine our real things that happen. But I knew the whole time that they were going to help me end up here recording this podcast with you. Like I've just always I've just always known like mm-hmm. it kind of fucked up but like yeah, give me more actually because I'm going to transform this and make mm-hmm. this so beautiful. It. I'm going to metabolize it and yeah. make it so beautiful. And I'm curious about whether, like how, if that's a choice, I do think that that's a choice that everyone can make. I agree. Because as you're speaking, I felt that for myself. And I know that there's, I'll use my sister, for example, we grew up in the same household and we took two completely different paths, had two completely different experiences. I've always felt that fire. I'm mm. like, I, there's, that's, I, I don't know how to explain it. I really couldn't even put it into the English language. It is a feeling. It is and when you feel it, it's unforgettable. Whereas my sister, where I know she's felt that, there's been a lot more trying to convince her of it. Mm-hmm. And I, she's one. And when I see her, I see hands down, like just gold, like mm-hmm. the most powerful human mm-hmm. I've ever seen. If I could just like, if she exploded, she'd be a million rays of light mm-hmm. and power. Um, but she, she, her, and she's talked about this, like her. Um, relationship with her value is still being developed. Mm. So in my opinion, you know, God gets you ready. Mm. And when you're ready, you're ready. I don't think we can rush that process. And I don't think that we can even really make sense of that process. Mm. I've always, Mm. it always comes down to God is going to develop your character. And the more that you can pray into that and allow God in, I don't believe that God is just automatically within us. I think that's lazy faith. Mm. God's within me. It'll all work out. It'll all happen. I think that God is all around us as omnipresence, and it's our free will that allows God in to develop, shapeshift, move things around. So for me, it really came down to allowing God's hand to be on my life. Mm-hmm. And that actually fueled the, fa- the flame. And me and my sister always talk in the chapters where she's allowed God in, that flame is most alive. Mm-hmm. But we always stray, and then we come back. And so... I don't have a direct answer for that. Not that you're even looking for one, but I mean, I'm curious if you do. But I do think that it's a call and I'm just inviting everyone to not fucking stop until <sighs> you feel the call. Mm-hmm. Like definitely don't stop until you feel the call. But for me at an early age, things got so dark that it's like, if I'm still here, why wouldn't it be for something? Mm-hmm. I remember having that thought as a kid. Uh, of like, yes, this has to like, be applied it, to something. It was, that's hope. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Like, that hope is just my hope. Mm -hmm. Like, and when you run out of that, it's very difficult to see the world any other way than than through the lens of doom. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, like, I've just had so many conversations with my sister recently where it's like, where's our hope at? And we've been praying together and just making sure that each of us can feel possibility in the room. Because if you can feel that, then you'll keep going. and. I've just been so radically surprised that nothing can convince me that God's not real and Mm -hmm. that life is not really happening for um, a bigger purpose. And I think that we each have to go on that adventure and find those moments where it's just you and the creator and then nobody can convince you of anything Mm -hmm. otherwise. Mm -hmm. And for some of us, we find that in the dark, but some of us find it in the light. For me, it was the dark. Mm. (laughs) Anything that feels really exciting or important to share? as we wrap up? Mm, I'm being reminded even through meeting you today, the power of human connection. And we were talking about this before the podcast of leaving the room, you Mm. know, not necessarily getting so hung up on what you need to do to get started, but really just leaving the room and knowing that you have all the resources within you and the adaptability to bring things together. And we were going to do this over zoom. And I remember you're like, well, we'll get a studio and I'm just being reminded of the joy and the exhilaration and the enthusiasm that gets added to your life when you leave the room and you just go meet people. Mm-hmm. So I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that we got to meet Me and I'm just feeling so much more ready for the day and yes. so much more full. Yes. And that I think we all can say yes to. Leave the room. Know that when you end up in the place, you're going to do a great job when you end job. up there. Yeah. 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 And just live life like that. Yeah. <laughs> if you take anything from this podcast. <laughs> it's actually true. Go outside. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for This has been me. the best. Thank you so much. Yeah. My favorite conversations are ones where 
my mind changes, that my worldview changes, the way that I relate to the world changes, and also that uh, informs the way that I'm going to go ahead and work with people and support people. And this conversation was absolutely that. I am a different person coming out of this conversation. I'm an upgraded person. And I hope you had that experience too. I just want to thank you, Victoria, so much for being part of this and for sharing your experience and for being you, because I really mean it. It requires a whole lot of boldness to do what you are doing. And I appreciate you so much. We are super invested into actually creating results for people. If you're a podcast listener, if you're part of our membership, if you're a client, We want you to have an extraordinary experience. We want you to know that you belong here and that you contribute to the whole and we really want you to benefit from the whole. If you submit a review or a testimonial of this podcast, you will be entered into a pool and we will randomly pick one person to win two 30-minute sessions with me, which is about a $1,500 value. We'll be exploring who you want to be and what your current obstacles are. And you'll be coming away from this experience with clarity on how to dissolve those obstacles and step into your expansiveness in a bolder way. Not only is your review grounding and energizing and motivating for us, it's also helpful for other people who might be kind of like you, who might also benefit from engaging with my content or listening to this podcast. So please leave a review. It is helpful for us in many, many ways. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you.